we have a lot to cover today. In our, we're, we're in a great series, and we have a lot to cover, so I don't want to waste any time. If you're new to our, our church and you're wondering, okay, where are we? What, are, what books of the Bible are we looking at? We're in a series that is looking at biblical wisdom, and specifically biblical wisdom taken from the book of Proverbs, which happens to be one of my favorite books. So in saying that, I'm going to start us off with a story. I want to start us off with a story, and as I work my way through, I'm sure you're going to get the big idea of what the theme of our message is. So I'm going back over two decades now, and I was out for a drive with a friend of mine and his girlfriend, and it's over two decades, so I have no idea where we were going or why we we were on the road, so I have no answers to those questions. But something did happen on that trip, that drive, that changed my life, and it changed my life forever. It was a dark and rainy evening, and you're like, oh, gosh. All stories start like that sometimes, don't they? It was a dark and stormy night, but it really was. (laughs) It really was a dark and rainy evening, and one of the things about driving in the city of St. John in those conditions is you're likely to hit one of those road hazards that our city's famous for. Anybody here have a guess of what that road hazard might be? Oh, my gosh, it's unanimous. Survey said it it was a pothole. You're right. And I'm telling you, um, this pothole was so deep and it was full of water that when I hit it, it was like, bang. We hit that thing so hard that I thought I hit a wall. I thought I hit a wall for a moment. And it scared, my, it scared us all in the car. We didn't know what happened. But I had to turn onto Rossay Avenue because I had a flat tire. And I also wanted to find out what else I did to my car because I was certain there was more damage. I remember screaming a few choice words, I was younger, (laughs) and I remember banging my steering wheel because I knew it was going to be miserable trying to change a tire in those conditions, but luckily, the friend I was with, he was a a weightlifter like I was, he was a big, strong guy, so it didn't take too long for us to get the donut on the tire, and we were back on the road, and when we got on the road, we were like, man, that was like the worst pothole like we've ever hit, and they didn't hit it, I did. And uh, so we were like, well, gee, out of curiosity, let's just, let's just go back and see what, what this was, how deep it was. So we made our way back, and wouldn't you know it, there were three other cars that were in the parking lot to the side of where the pothole was. There was a gas station there. It's not there no more. But there were three other cars that hit this pothole and had the same problem. So I pull in, and I, I start to talk to some of the people. Some of them are on the phone with the city telling their horror story. And I eventually found myself talking to this man who was a husband, a father, and a fellow victim like me. (laughs) And in short order, we discovered a few things. We discovered that we were both Christians and that we both just happened to work for Xerox at the time. So we exchanged our information, and about a week or so after, we ended up meeting for lunch. We never received any money from the city for our troubles, but what we did receive was far more valuable because the man who had gone through the exact same thing I did ended up becoming one of the best friends I've ever had. He was one of the best friends I've ever had, and he's still one of my best friends today. His name is Alan, and I truly believe we were both meant to hit that pothole. I don't doubt that, because isn't it like God to turn a horrible situation into a blessing in our life if we allow the time to transpire to let God do his work? Because that's what happened. Alan was brought into my life at a time where I desperately needed not just another good friend, not just another buddy, 
but I needed a godly friend. And in my brother Alan, God answered that prayer for me. And I'm sure by now you can guess what the theme of our message is going to be and what wisdom we're going to glean from Proverbs today. Braden touched on it last week. And what we're looking at is biblical wisdom in the area of friendship. This is what we're going to be diving deep into this morning. And I pray that when we get to the end of it, that you're greatly encouraged because I certainly was in preparing this message. Now, I want us to remember, a proverb is a wise saying, but more than that, a biblical proverb is godly advice to help us in our everyday living. It's godly advice to sustain us in the things that we encounter every day. And there's only one proverb serving as our context message for today, and it's found in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 26. We just have one problem, but we have a lot to talk about. Isn't that the way it goes? You got a problem, we got a lot to talk about. Proverbs 12, 26, verse, or Proverbs 12, verse 26 says, The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. One proverb, so we're going to read it again. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the wicked leads them astray. So again, we only have one proverb, one wise saying, one golden nugget, but man, does it ever pack a punch. Now, you've probably heard this line before. You can't choose your family, but you can choose your friends. Anybody hear that line before? <laughs> Anybody feel the pain of that line before? <laughs> yeah? <laughs> More on the family side, not the friend side. But it's true, church. You're born into a family, but you choose your friends. And here we have this proverb of wisdom, some important advice for us to know when it comes to friendship. When, we, when it comes to our friends, the choices we make have a lasting impact. And if we're not careful, they can have some very serious consequences. And I want us to notice the language used in this verse. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. The language used here gives us two very different visuals of what friendship looks like and biblical friendship looks like. With the righteous, there's thought, there's calculation, it's like the righteous person's in control of what's happening in their life and the direction they're going. But with the wicked, it doesn't look like they have a lot of control. I mean, it's like if you've ever been lost in the woods or if you've ever been lost anywhere, you end up going astray off the path and it's a terrifying experience. If you've ever been lost, it's terrifying. And the reality is from our proverb that if we stray from the path in friendship, it can be terrifying as well. And this is what we're going to dive into first. This is the first part that I want to break down when we look at the context verse for our message today. Choices have consequences. And what are the consequences of choosing poorly in the area of friendship? What are the consequences of surrounding yourself with bad company? And Lori, you'll appreciate this because I haven't shared a movie quote with you in a long time. But <laughs> there's this great line one of my favorite movies is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, that whole series. And in that movie, there's this great point near the end of the movie where Indy, he has to go through a series of obstacles in an effort to get the Holy Grail to save his dad's life and to save it or to protect it from the Nazis. And after he goes through all these obstacles, he finds himself in a room where he meets this ancient knight. And he has to survive an attempt on his life by the knight. But once he's done, the knight in explaining the situation to him and where he is, he says this great line. 
Choose wisely, for the true grail will give you life. Choose poorly, and the false grail will take it from you. That line jumped right into my mind when I was thinking about the consequences of choosing poorly in friendship. An unreliable and untrustworthy and even wicked friend can take the life from you. They can suck the life right out of your body. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 33 says, and Braden, he touched on it last week, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. A bad friend can change the very character or the very nature of your character. And what we're talking about is influence here. It's the power of influence. And if you're a parent like me, you know this well. You know the power of influence when you look at what is happening in the lives of your children. As my children grew older, and especially when they entered the public school system, a fear we had in an often prayed prayer was in the area of their friends, who they chose to be their friends. And as adults, many have experienced the hardship found in the truth of our context verse. People can be led astray in friendship, especially when it's not founded in Jesus Christ. So here's a question. What is the foundation of your friendship? What is at the helm of your friendships? What's guiding it? Because is, it, is the direction, if we're not careful, is it being controlled by someone else? Maybe it's a demonic influence or even Satan himself that's directing your friendships without you even realizing it. And if I could just sidebar here for a moment, I take this line from Braden. I'm just going to sidebar. <laughs> I've always heard that line, it takes a village to raise a child. You guys ever hear that before? Well, I don't buy that line anymore. And I wouldn't encourage anyone else to buy it either. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm definitely thankful for anyone who's ever kept their eye on my kid when Krista and I's eyes couldn't be on them. But in saying that, the job of, my, of raising our children was, was Krista and I's. It was our responsibility under God to guide them. And we were blessed to do it. It's the role of godly mothers and fathers to raise their kids in knowing the truth. It's not the governments. It's not the education system. It's nobody else but the parents of that child. And as Christians, if we're comfortable letting a village raise them, well, we better be comfortable with the consequences that might come along with it. Because we might not always know who's influencing our kids. We're not always going to be there, but we always have to be aware it's our responsibility to be aware of who is influencing our child. It could be Satan seeking to, dis to destabilize the child and maybe even destabilize the family because that's what that liar, that lying piece of garbage, that's what he does. He lies and he makes a mess of things. But back to our message, the data looking at the impact of what I call or refer to often as toxic relationships or toxic friendships, it's scary. If they're not biblically grounded and they're not healthy, the impacts are scary because people who go through these things or find themselves in relationships like this, they often experience issues with their self-esteem. They can have high stress levels that go along with high blood pressure. There's mental, emotional physical fatigue. They even find themselves, people can find themselves doing things they wouldn't normally do in another environment or with other people. So reflecting on what those relationships look like and trying to get a visual, Proverbs, Proverbs the book of Proverbs, gives us some very unsettling and scary examples. 
Proverbs 16, verse 28 says, A perverse man stirs up conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. So when we read that verse, when you look at your friendship, is friendships, is perversion a part of the relationship? And I'm not just talking about sexual perversion. To pervert something is to bend it or to twist it into something, into a form that it wasn't originally supposed to be. And are your friendships bent from a healthy state to an unhealthy state? Or is there a lot of conflict in your relationships? Do you find yourselves talking about other people with your friends when you have no good reason to do it or no good intention? Proverbs 18, Proverbs 18 verse 24 says, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. Have you ever been hurt by someone you could never count on? I've had a few friends like that. Proverbs 20, 22 verse 24 says, do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered. Are you shouldering the weight of a, of a relationship that's filled with anger? And I don't, st- I don't say this stuff to dig up hurt in your heart or, or to cause you to reflect on things that you, memories you don't want to reflect on, but these need to be taken as red flags. These could very well be signs that you need to make a change in a relationship that you have in your life. Maybe there's a friend that you need to get away from or a group of friends who you need to get away from, a group of people who are claiming to be your friend because the reality is your health could actually be at stake. And even more than that, your eternal spiritual health. This is very serious stuff. And if I was to sidebar here for a moment, I want to speak to the person who's leading other people into sin. If you're the kind of friend who's leading people to sin, I want to tell you this. You're no friend. You're not a friend. You're actually wicked. You're a wicked person. And I'm not talking about the gnarly cool way. You're wicked in God's eyes. And that's a scary thought. And not only are you wicked, you're also in danger. You're in great danger because like those who fear the law when it's broken, you're in danger of the judgment of God. It says in Matthew 18, verse 6, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, and you may be big, but in God's eyes, you're still his little child. I'm still God's son. My kids are big. They're really big. (laughs) But they're always my kids. They're always my children. Whoever causes one of these who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be thrown and drowned into the depths of the sea. There's no mincing words here when it comes to leading people to sin. So listener, if this is you, I would say repent and turn to Jesus. Change the direction of your life because know this church, it's godly wisdom to filter a person's behaviors, their beliefs, their words, and their actions through God's word and through God's way. You're doing what God wants you to do. You're being wise. You're being careful. 1 John 3, verses 7 and 8 says, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. 
Jesus came to destroy the devil's work, church. And if you're, if the devil is your employer, like Braden said, and man, this jumped out at me. It hadn't left me all week. God will end you. God could, God could very well end you as a result of your actions. So friend, hear me. Do not be led astray by someone who doesn't care about your eternal well-being. But be gentle and compassionate with them. But know this, the person could be doing the devil's work, and that's a sober and terrifying thought. And we're going to get into some good news. It's not all bad news. We're going to get into some of the good news, but we need to cover this stuff because it's vital. Coming back to our message in Proverbs 12, verse 26, it's such great wisdom, but just in case you're thinking, well, Sean, can I go a little astray? I mean, is there really anything going wrong, anything wrong with just going a little off track? I mean, isn't there an opportunity for a great adventure? The great quarterback from the New York Giants, Eli Manning, once said, he said, I'm not superstitious, but I'm a little stitious. <laughs> What's the big deal, right? But I want to be as clear as Scripture can allow. Matthew, 17, Matthew, Matthew 7, verse 13 says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. To go astray, to get off the path, to have sin be the compass that's guiding your life, it's a road that has a dead end. It's a road that's end is destruction. And I'm going to come back to that at the end of the message, but for now I want to ask that question again. What are your friendships like? And what kind of a friend are you? I'm ashamed to say that I've been on both ends of the friendship aisle. I've been on both sides of it. As a Christian, I always strive to be a godly man and a godly friend. But at times in my life, if I'm being honest, I've been a poor and I've even been a wicked friend. And I don't ever want to be that kind of a person again. That's not what I want people to remember me by, and that's not my character, and that's not what I want to reflect. In the great news, church, this is where we get to some really great news. The great news is that we don't have to be. In Jesus Christ, we can have the kind of fellowship. We can be the kind of friend to others that brings honor to, God, to our king, our creator, in Jesus Christ. And this is where I want to focus the, the next part of our message. This is what we want to dive into next. What does it look like for the righteous to be wise in their friendship? What does it look like to be careful? What are the fruits of that? There's so much good news in this, and I'm so encouraged. I mean, I spent, what, 20 minutes, 25 minutes talking about all the, the consequences and the, the concern that we need to have of, of choosing poorly? But to talk about righteousness and friendship, it's really not complicated. The hard part was done. This is the easy stuff. It's like when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment when he was challenged? Now know this, there are like 613 commands in the Old Testament that the Israelites had to follow. And you're like, well, wait a minute, Sean, didn't God give them 10? Yes, Moses came down the mountain with 10 and the religious leaders, in their wisdom, made over another 600. So that's a flag right there. <laughs> we need to be aware right there. But to sum them all up, when Jesus was challenged, he only needed two. 
He summed them up by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you live those two out, nothing else is going to matter. And when it comes to godly wisdom applied in friendship, I had the same experience. When I was trying to think of, man, how do I sum up all these great things that happen in a relationship that is righteous and that has godly wisdom applied to it and, and, and established as the foundation of it, what does it look like? I only needed one verse. And guess where it came from? Proverb. <clears throat> Proverbs. <laughs> I had a cold, I'm getting over it, my voice is coming back. But, uh, you know, I can be the butt of a joke too, I did crack. <clears throat> Proverbs, Proverbs 17, verse 17 says this, and man, I love it. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. I just want to say that again. Uh, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. When I hear this church, it's like the breath of the freshest air. This is what true godly friendship looks like, and I want it. And I would encourage anyone else to want it as well. A righteous friendship is one full of love, and it's full of love all the time. I mean, have you guys ever told your friends that you love them? I tell my friends I love them all the time. Some of them don't want to hear it, but I still say it because there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with telling people that you love them and that they're loved. Because when we know who God is and we have a right relationship with God, we understand that we are created out of love. Because God is love and we are created in God's image. So if we're God's image and he's made of love and that's his character, then what's our character supposed to be? We're supposed to love and love our neighbor as well and let them know. So I have no issue telling people that I love them because I know they're loved. God loves them. And more than that, and I love this part of the verse, when it gets tough, godly friends, true friends are born for it. Whether it's opposition, hostility, misfortune, hardship, it doesn't matter. When it comes, friendships established in Jesus are ready to face it. Not only do they face it together, they overcome it. There are other Proverbs that speak of a cord of two not being easily broken and, and two brothers instead of one will not fall. I think of the friendship that Hall of Fame football player Gail Sayers had with a teammate named Brian Piccolo. During a time in America when the civil rights movement was in full swing and racism was rampant, seems like racism still is, but in the civil rights era, it was, it was intense. These two football players who played, for, who played for the Chicago Bears, they had a friendship that wasn't defined by their race. They didn't allow the color of their skin to define their friendship because Gail Sayers was a black man and Brian was a white man and they had a great friendship. But then when Brian came down with cancer, he came down with terminal cancer, Gail was there to see his friend to the end and, to it, and into eternity. And it was a friendship that was played out in a movie called Brian's Song, and it's a great example of faith and fellowship. But one of my favorite examples that I always refer to when I think of friendship and I look at the scriptures is taken from the Gospels of Mark and the Gospels of Luke when Jesus found himself in a home in Capernaum. 
Jesus is in the area of Capernaum, and he goes to a home, and everybody there hears about him, and they all flock to where Jesus is. They know what he is. They know who he is. They know what he's been doing, and they know what he's preaching, and they want it. They want the word of God, and they want healing. So they flock there, and there's these four guys. These four guys come to the same home, and they're carrying a paralyzed man because they want to bring him to Jesus. But the crowds are so great, they can't get through to where Jesus is. So you, would, you might think this is where it ends, and this poor paralytic is going to stay that way for the rest of his life. But no, and this is why I believe these guys were godly friends, the best of friends, or they were brothers. Because these four guys, they get the paralyzed man onto the roof of the home where Jesus is. And they don't tap on it. They don't look for a, a skylight. They dig a hole in the roof. And their infrastructure is not like ours. Our building could survive a hole dug in a roof. Wouldn't like it, but it would. There, you, you dig a hole in a roof in a building made in those days, you compromise the whole structure. They didn't care. They wanted their friend to get to Jesus so bad that even though they knew their friend spent his life as a paralyzed man, they were willing to risk paralysis themselves in getting their friend to Jesus. And it's, it's, I think when I hear that, I think of the line that C.S. Lewis said when describing humility. He said this about humili humility. It's not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. And these guys certainly lived that out. And the result was that their friend did get to meet Jesus and he was healed. And I believe these guys were brothers, the closest of friends. And I can't wait. When I think about the people that I'm going to meet in heaven, I can't wait to meet these guys and just ask them, like, man, that must have been some intense. And who had the idea first? You know, did, did, your, did Joe start climbing and everybody else said, well, we're going. You know, it'd be a great story to hear. There's so much to glean from this section of both of those Gospels, but to sum up the main points of what happened there is that the godly friends, like the brothers in this story, they're on the journey with you. When you have godly friends, they're on the journey of life with you, and they'll at times carry you. They'll sacrifice and get in harm's way. They'll take risks with you, but the most important thing that they'll do is they'll always lead you to Jesus. True friends, godly, made righteous friends will always bring you to Jesus. And if that wasn't good enough, if that example's not good enough, I have one even better than that. It's the best of all of them. And it's Jesus Christ himself. You'll find no greater friend, church, than Jesus. You'll find salvation in Jesus. I'm here to tell you that my closest friend is Jesus Christ. And like all great friends, there are reasons for why I claim that Jesus is my best friend. And these reasons can be yours too. You see, I didn't call Jesus friend first. He called me friend first. When I gave my life to him and I placed my faith and trust in him, he called me his friend. And he's always told me the truth. Even when it's been brutal and it's been hard, he's always told me the truth. 
John 15, verse 15 says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what, the master, what his master is doing. But I've called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father, I've made known to you. When you have a relationship with Jesus, he calls you friend. And he's been there for me always, and he's always been enough for me. In Jesus, I find contentment. Now, if you know me, you may say, well, Jeepers, Sean, that's a little hypocritical. I know you struggle with anxiety. Yes, but in overcoming it, in persevering it, and in enduring it, Jesus has been consistent. His word hasn't changed. The brothers and sisters he's brought into my life have been good. It's been fruitful. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, and the he is Jesus, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He never has. He's never left me and I know he'll never leave you. My contentment is found in my relationship with my friend Jesus. And he's been my great shepherd. He's been a great leader in my life who lived by example. Jesus says in John 13, 5, Yes, I have given you an example so that you also will do just as I have done for you. He wants you to be a good and godly friend who tells the truth and stands, when, stands and is there when it's tough. But of all the things he's done, and I could go on and on, he sacrificed for me. Almost all Christians know and can recite John 3.16. And if you want to say it together, let's say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We know this is true, church. And we lock this truth away in our heart. Jesus died for you and for me willingly. willingly. People never know when the hero moment's going to come. When people have a heroic story to tell, often it's because the moment sprung on them and they were able to respond. But Jesus knew when the moment was going to come. And he never turned away from it. Romans 5, 7 talks about someone daring to die for a good person or a righteous person. When you think about, man, would I be willing to lay my life on the line? Maybe the thought would go through your head, I would do it for my family, or if I knew that person was really worth it, I would do it. Jesus didn't think like that. He just did it for all, for everyone. Jesus said in John 10, verse 18, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again, to resurrect life, like Kevin coming in and saying, Thank you, Jesus, for bringing me from the depths of death. Kevin, you were my reason to come up and say thank you, but you did it. So I'm thankful to be here just to preach this word. The charge I have received from my Father... Jesus laid down his life for us all, for you and me. And this is why Jesus is my best friend, and this is why he's so easy to talk about. And I'm not greedy. I'm, I'm not really greedy. I'm not superstitious, but maybe just a little stitious. <laughs> I'm not greedy. When it comes to Jesus, I want him to be your friend too. He's my closest friend, and I know he wants to be your closest friend. It's not about what I want so much as, as, as it is about what he wants for your life. He wants to be your closest friend, and that's what I want. I have a final proverb as we, we come near to the end of our message. 
It's Proverbs 18, verse 24. And it says this, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. It can be a concern to have too many friends. Because we know, we, we, we've learned about it, we spent you know, a significant amount of time talking about the consequences of choosing poorly in the area of friendship. And if you have too many friends, you may not be able to understand all the influences that are coming at you. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And his name is Jesus. He's ever present in the world, and if you're a Christian, he dwells inside of you and lives through you and ministers through you through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that you, like me, can stand up and be as thankful as I am for the godly brothers and sisters that you have in your life because I'm truly thankful, but none of it matters if Jesus isn't Lord of your life, if he's not your closest friend. If Jesus isn't the king of your life, then who is he to you? And I want you to hear this, church. I want you to hear this, and I say it as compassionately as I can. If Jesus is not your friend, you will be his enemy. James 4, verse 4 says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I said I would come back to this at the end of the message, and here we are. To have enmity with God is to be hostile toward God. It's to make an enemy of God. It means you're opposing Jesus Christ and what he wants for your life and what he knows is holy. And in that path that we talk about, that's the right path. He knows you're rejecting it and you want nothing to do with it. You don't want his offer of grace and salvation that is found in Jesus. So I want to, I'm here to tell you, don't be surprised if at the end of your life, when you're standing before Jesus, and he's going to pronounce judgment, and you're, wait, wait, and he says, no, no, away from me, I never knew you. And it would be fair, church. Do you call everybody you encounter your friend? No. You don't know them. And how many of us would let, our, let go of someone to let them go their own way if they wanted nothing to do with you? I don't like you. I don't want nothing to do with you. Get away from me. If I was to grab hold of that person, I might eat a punch in the face. So we let them go. And that's not what God wants for you, and it's not what he wants for your eternal life. But like the context of our verse says today, we make that decision. Are we applying righteousness and wisdom in being careful in our friendship or are we being led astray? In Jesus, well, not in Jesus, in Adam, going all the way back to the beginning, one man committed one sin that resulted in death coming to everyone. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But in the one man, Jesus Christ, Life and forgiveness for all time to cover all sins is accomplished. What a difference. So be wise in your friendship. And as the band comes forward, or actually uh, the band, um, we're going to go into a time of communion first, um, but the band will come forward. And as they do, 
I want to implore any listener or maybe anyone here today, if you need to repent, I would encourage you to repent. If you need forgiveness, I would encourage you to forgive and be forgiven. And if you need to trust Jesus as your Savior, I would encourage you and trust him today. Jesus' offer is there. I've said to many of my godly friends, especially the godly brothers I have in my life, I've said to many of them, man, I sure wish I had a brother like you in my life when I was younger. You ever say that to a friend? Man, I could have used you when I was younger. When I had the opportunity to come into relationship and have fellowship and be befriended by Jesus, I didn't miss that opportunity. And it's not too late for you to have that opportunity today. I'll finish with this last verse of scripture. Jeremiah says, in Jer- or it says in Jeremiah 6, verse 16, the Lord said this, stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient pass. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus is the good way. Jesus' path is the good path and you will find rest for your souls in Jesus Christ.